Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. We have this on. Good morning. Hello. Great. Uh, now is probably a good time uh, as we get started for me to log into this laptop and also just to invite us all uh, to turn to this text. But before we do that, actually, I thought I would give a little update uh, about Christmas, <clears throat> which Pastor Ian has already mentioned. Uh, on Christmas Day, we'll be hosting uh, one another as well as many of our guests uh, on uh, for lunch in some of our homes. And I thought maybe just to give an update on the numbers and also to explain uh, why we're doing this instead of having the buffet lunch that we normally do. Um, so far, uh, 11 families have signed up and that's about, uh, about 50, uh, 50, 40, well, 40 to 50 people who have uh, offered to host and also 50 who have registered as guests. And of these 50, we have non-Christians, we have friends who are visiting us, we have some in our midst who are away from home, and so in total, it's about 80 to 90 people that will be uh, spending time in homes this Christmas. Uh, and many of us, I'm sure, will have other plans, and that's entirely fine. 
But I thought we'd just talk a bit about why we're doing this on Christmas instead of having a big buffet. Uh, on Christmas, one of the great opportunities we have is to give each other the gift of our time and also just to open ourselves up to one another. And so instead of having a big meal where everyone, just a couple hundred people goes downstairs for a meal, we thought it would be good for us to break up into, into just to get to know each other a little bit better and also to host one another to show hospitality in homes. So that's what we are doing for Christmas. And uh, if you can, why don't we, we pray together as we get started with God's Word today and also for this effort. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this morning and the great opportunity to come around your Word. We give you thanks for the great privilege to gather with freedom and safety, in peace, with one another, to be attentive to your Word. Lord, we pray that as we do so, you would grow us and transform us. And prepare us also, O oh God, for Wednesday and the time that we will be spending with our guests and also our non-Christian friends. Help us as we host them in our homes to be winsome, to be friendly, and to be warm. And we ask, O oh God, for the conversations around tables to be pleasing in your sight and that Christ will be proclaimed. So we ask your blessing on Christmas Day and also on this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text that we have before us today uh, is the latest in our Advent series as we are working through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been moving through uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, and here we are at the tail end of it, looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it, it was big news uh, that they had, big news as they welcomed the birth of little John. We know him as John the Baptist, but in this Luke account, of his birth, it was big news for them and for the community. There's also been other big news uh, for us uh, this week, and I just thought I would share with you some uh, entirely irrelevant news. You might not be interested, but oh well, here it is. It's big news all the same. I found it on CNN, on BBC, on Straits Times, on Slate, you name it, it's there. After 25 years of being out, Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you, is number one on the charts. Not that you care. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but it's a big news. It's big news for Mariah Carey, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of news. And this song, you may have heard it uh, a lot, and you will continue to hear it. It's one of those songs that they play nonstop. Uh, it goes, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. And in a way, this song is a pretty apt song, I think, uh, for us to get settled three days into Christmas. Because this song actually is about desire. It's about longing. It's a song about what you really want at Christmas. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. Uh, we're going to look at Zechariah sing his version of this song. The, the text that we have today, uh, the song is called the Benedictus that Zechariah sings. And it's actually... Um, you can think of it as a Bible version of Mariah Carey's song. It's Zechariah singing his version of All I Want for Christmas is You. The, the Benedictus is an ancient song in the church that is sung mostly in liturgical churches. It's sung usually as a pair alongside the Magnificat, which Pastor Oliver preached to us last week in Luke chapter 1. And the Benedictus is a song of Zechariah praising and worshipping God. That first 
word in the song in Latin, Benedictus, means blessing. Uh, and that's where it gets the name, uh, that's where it gets the name of the song from. This song that Zechariah sings, we're going to look at it and try and understand a bit about why he sings this song, what it means, uh, and also what it means for us today. We're going to look at this uh, text in four sections, in birth, belief, bursting, and blessing, just as we walk through the story. So follow along in your Bibles, if you will, as we look at this account. Uh, The story begins with really good news that Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, has given birth and born a son. And as with all great births, the community is so excited and everybody is uh, gathering to, uh, to woo and to just to, to fawn over this child as, uh, as people do. But our text tells us that they came for a very specific reason. Verse 50, 58 tells us that the neighbours and relatives had heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to Elizabeth and they were rejoicing with her. What does this mean, that God had shown great mercy to Elizabeth? Well, of course, all children are gifts, uh, and every new birth is a gift from God. But more than that, we need to understand a bit about the background of Elizabeth, which we read earlier in this chapter. Uh, In verse 5 of the same chapter, we read that in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, that was Elizabeth's husband, and he was a priest of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, the text tells us that Elizabeth was an old lady when she had this child. And honestly, I've heard this story many, many times. I'm sure you have too. But this week, as I was preparing to teach it, I thought a bit about it, and I tried to put myself in the situation. And I tried to imagine, what would I do if I got a text uh, saying that my aunt, 60, 70, had a baby, and she had no child? What what would I do? Well, the first thing I I think I would do is I would go to my mom, and I would make a big big deal about it. I'd be like, oh, auntie so-and-so is pregnant, are you 70, 60, 70? It's a huge deal. How, How is this possible? Uh, it would have caused that kind of great stir among the community. But even more than just a social stir, we need to know that there was a background in Israel that made being barren in your old age particularly significant. You know, in Psalm 127, uh, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And it's texts like this, Psalm 127, that informed the thinking of the culture. And, and in Israel, women would have known that children are not just an indication of, uh, of family growth, but is an indication of blessing from God. So for old Elizabeth, a God-fearing woman, to not have a child in her old age would have meant years and years of wondering if God had blessed her or if wondering if God had passed over her in blessing. We see this also in the text, because when Elizabeth conceived, for five months she wouldn't go out. I mean, just think about that. Why would you not go out for five months? And you're 60, 70 years old, you just had a child. She was terrified. Terrified at the thought of, oh my goodness, what a... But what does this mean? It's so strange for an older person at my age, after not having children for years, to suddenly have a child. I wonder whether you recognize the confusion 
and the crisis that this would have caused in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life at Christmas time. What is God doing? Maybe you can relate a bit with uh, Elizabeth at Christmas. Maybe you can relate to this feeling of God maybe blessing someone else that you know with a gift but passing you over for years and years and wondering if God really has favoured you, if God has remembered you, or if He's forgotten you altogether. Well, our text tells us that at long last, Elizabeth's reproach was taken away. Like other women in the Bible, like Sarah, who was elderly and had no children, like Rachel and Hannah, who had no children and were mocked by their rivals, like Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, who pleaded with God desperately for a child, Elizabeth's belief in God was finally vindicated and we see that she bore a child. We rejoice with her and we rejoice with all these women of the Bible because the Bible shows us again and again that when you trust God in His timing, He will come to you. As we trust in Him, as we wait upon Him, God knows exactly what to give us and when. But actually, Elizabeth is not really the focus of our text today. Uh, it's actually her husband, Zechariah. And the ironic thing is that Zechariah actually did not have this kind of belief easily. Our text tells us today that Zechariah actually struggled with belief. The, the Christmas story is actually full of belief. Uh, you have wise men who believe the words of the Old Testament and they travel miles and miles in search of the new king. You've got the shepherds who hear the words of the angels and they believe and they run to see this newborn king. You have Joseph and Mary who believe what the angel has to say and they act accordingly. Even King Herod in the story, he believes what Scripture says and he, he also acts in response. But Zechariah, in all the Christmas narrative, stands out. Uh, and that's why this song to us is particularly worthy of study because Zechariah really struggles with belief. Uh, the background of our text is necessary and again in Luke chapter 1, we, we see uh, that uh, Zechariah actually had a miraculous encounter. If you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read a bit of it uh, at, at, for us. In verse 8, Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name God is Gracious, which means John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is all the background that takes place in the temple that first informs Zechariah about the child he's going to have. It's a huge promise huge promise of God's opening of a barren womb and using the life that, that that womb produces for His great and amazing purposes. 
And the, the text after that tells us that Zechariah actually really struggled to believe that. I have it on the screen in verse 18. Zechariah says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and advanced in years. There's a preacher, John Piper, who says, preaching on this text, that the way to understand this text, and he titles his sermon, How Not to Talk to an Angel. It's a pretty good title. Uh, And you see in, in Zechariah's response, his utter struggle with belief. I mean, what would you do? I mean, honestly, if you, if you were at work one day and suddenly an angel came up to you and said, your life is going to be changed and transformed by God and from your barren wife, uh, amazing, mesonaic promises are going to be fulfilled. What would you do? Uh, verse 18 for, to us uh, is an incredibly modern verse. It, it's a verse of, I don't know, is, is this really possible? It, it defies logic and it defies my experience. Uh, There is a sociologist called Peter Berger who studies the sociology of religion. And and Peter Berger says, he's coined this term called plausibility structures, which is the furniture of our mind, the furniture of our thinking that makes belief in religion difficult. Uh, and and, And Peter Berger argues that Sometimes when we look at faith and doubt and we look at miraculous things, the Word of God, and and we just say, I believe, I don't believe, actually there's layers beneath it. And the layers beneath it are the plausibility structures of my mind. The things that I expect to be possible and I expect to be impossible. And I wonder, by looking at this text, can you see Zechariah's plausibility structures? Can you see the furniture of his mind that makes these words of God impossible? There's at least two. One is reason, and two, the other is experience. You see, for Zechariah, looking at these claims as he heard the angel, the first thing that came to his mind was, this is impossible. It is impossible for wombs that are dead, that do not operate ready to be fertile, and have, for them suddenly overnight to produce life. It is impossible. A dead womb is a dead womb. Reason, logic tells us so. But, you know, Zechariah, being an older man, also had experience to contend with. Years and years of hoping and waiting, years and years of trying and failing, would have informed him and Elizabeth that not only had God passed them over for this blessing, but God had chosen to pass them over for blessing. Now, I want us to sit and think about this for a minute because this is one of the reasons why uh, Christmas tends to go past us. We, we look at the great promises of God and of joy to the world, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And, and we try and we say, okay, I'm going to try and believe this. I'm, I'm going to try. But reason and experience, the plausibility structures of our lives make Christmas very hard to sit. Joy to the world? Is that even possible? Peace on earth and goodwill to all men? Most of all to me? Is that really possible? Brothers and sisters, I I, I want us to understand how difficult it must have been for Zechariah and for Elizabeth to believe God's promises. And, And if you're not a Christian today, if you're not if you're not a believer, 
Or if you are a believer and you struggle with belief, like I do, oh, this text is so comforting, isn't it? It's so comforting to see that Bible characters, they don't just jump forward and say, yes, God, I believe. We, we look at Mary and we say, it would be wonderful to have faith like that. But most of us, life is hard, days are long, people are not kind, and sometimes God's promises look empty. So what does this text tell us then? What does it hold for us? If Zechariah was the one who said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Almost as if he was arguing with this angel. Isn't it amazing that when you turn around the corner and God silences him, God silences his, his voice and he's suddenly no longer able to speak, God graciously gives him nine months to be quiet. <laughs> nine months to be quiet and to think. I think it's a wonderful, gracious gift of God. Sometimes to silence us in our questions and our replies and our arguments and our doubt. And God just says, maybe just take a, just take a break. Just take a little break. And let the words that I have said to you sit. That's what our text says. The angel graciously says, I stand in the presence of God, I'm Gabriel, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I don't know whether he's grudging. Or... And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, and I love this part, which will be fulfilled in their time. Oh, the angel wanted Zechariah to realize that you just, you just rest for a while and you wait for God to keep His Word. You wait and then wait for faith to grow. Later in our text, we see that Zechariah really does come around. And after the child is born, on the eighth day, uh, they bring the child forward to be circumcised, which is the, the standard ritual. And that's not the controversy. The controversy at that point is what to name him. So 59 says, verse 59 says, And they would have called him Zechariah after their father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called. God is gracious. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Now, I find these relatives extremely irritating. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, the mother has already said he's to be called John, Okay. And they're like, no, 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 women don't know anything. Women don't know anything. No, he has to be called son of Zechariah, something bar Zechariah, I suppose, as Jewish names go. And they overrule her and they go to the That's just irritating. And, and Zechariah at this point, silent for nine months, gestures with his hand, asks for something to write on, and he writes in big letters, John. God is gracious. Now, I know we are reading behind the text, but I, I want you to think, what has happened in his heart? You see, those nine long months where God's words sat in his heart, they bubbled up and they grew in confidence. And they grew to a point where he finally said, well, God, you've given the child, you get to name the child. You've promised the child, you've promised his destiny, you've promised all the things that he's going to be and do, fine, God, then you get to name him. And Zechariah's choice is God's choice. It's a moment of great faith. It's a moment of great belief. And now, with all of that joy and all of that 
that confidence bubbling up in him, finally his tongue is loosed and he, he gets to speak. And he speaks and he blesses God. And, and look at verse 65. His blessing of God actually scares his neighbours. It scares his neighbours to be in awe of who God is. And, and not just his neighbours, but that sense of amazement and wonder that this man has been silent for nine months and his wife had a miracle child. This story goes far and wide throughout all the hill country of Judea and everybody starts to look at John, this young baby, with a lot of suspicion, saying, what will this child be? But you know what exactly Zechariah sings? The Benedictus? I tried to imagine that I was there. I tried to imagine that I was in that room, one of the cousins of, of, of Elizabeth, maybe, from, uh, uh, from the Aaronic family. And I tried to imagine what it would have been like to hear Zechariah burst into song. And this is how I think he sang. Well, not, I'm not going to sing. But this is how I imagine he said it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. I, I just imagine His joy and his, his uh, amazing sense of exhilaration that God has done this for me, that God has done this for my family. Amazing! Praise God! Now, some of you know I, I sing in a choir, uh, and I've sung this text. I've sung this text in Latin, and I tried to think uh, in preparation for this sermon, what exactly did I sing? Like, what, what did it sound? And I, honestly, I don't remember. But all I remember is my choir mistress saying, this text, the tenors, you have to you have to sound like trumpets. You have to sing it like trumpets. You can't just go, Benedict. You have to go, Benedict. You have to, it has to be loud and blaring and bright because of the joy of the Lord that filled Zechariah's heart. Friends, the change and the transformation from this older man who was doubtful and unsure and cynical to the point where he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And Why? All the verbs in here are so precious. They're so precious to us. Luke says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, which, which is a really important phrase. It means that God filled him to say things maybe he didn't even fully understand, but filled him to say things that were true, that were distant, but ultimately about God's own Messiah. And look at those verbs. For he has visited and redeemed his people. How has he come to us? How has He redeemed us? Verse 69, God has raised up, what a strange phrase, a horn of salvation. Uh, this, text is a, uh, this phrase is an Old Testament phrase that simply refers to the kind of symbolic power and authority of one who will work for God, almost like a king, a victorious king that God will raise up. If you can picture this, a great ram or a great bull with amazing horns, tossing his head in power. God has raised up this kind of power and greatness. And where? Where? In the house of his servant David. You see, for Zechariah, as he thought this through, he, he made a whole bunch of connections. And this is really important to see. Zechariah's connections are not just to the words that the angels spoke to him in the temple. No, nine months of thinking involved looking at Scripture. And Zechariah reaches into the Old Testament, into 2 Samuel 7, the promises of what God will do for David's family, that great king. And he says, 
This salvation that comes from David's family, that's what God has begun to do. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, Zechariah, of course, is thinking in the short term, he's probably thinking of the political enemies of the day. He's thinking of the Roman Empire to some extent. But later in this text, we also see that the salvation that Zechariah speaks of is not just political. It's also salvation from the fear of death. God has raised up one in David's house who fulfills that promise and fulfills all that salvation hope. And not just for David, but for Abraham, verse 73, that God has fulfilled his oaths to to David and to Abraham. Abraham, who God had promised to bless all the nations through his family, Zechariah made the connection. He said, this is what God has done. All these Old Testament promises and the hope that they hold, he pulls them in. He says, beginning with this fulfillment, God has done this for us so that we would be saved and that we might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all of our days. Now, I'm not sure if if Zechariah knew what this meant. Uh, He probably didn't know what it meant, but we do. Uh, This side of Messiah, we know that we have this ability to serve God without fear all of our days in holiness and righteousness because Messiah has come. We need no longer fear our enemies. We need no longer fear sin and death itself. For God has raised up one who will put an end to that. And then turning to his son, Zechariah holds his son and he says, You, child, you will be the prophet of the Most High and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is Zechariah taking the promise and making it personal as he understands what this amazing miracle birth was, was, uh, achieves. John the Baptist, this boy, will be the one who prepares the way for Messiah. He will be the voice in the wilderness declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He will be the one who says, repent and turn because the kingdom of God is near. And after me comes one whose, whose straps of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. John will be the one who says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He will be the one who points and points and points and points to Messiah who has come. That's what he means when he says that he will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. John will bring this gospel hope. And I love how our text ends. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high and to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our way into the, into the way of peace. Zechariah uses this beautiful picture, beautiful picture of a long night that was dark and cold and miserable. And those who hope in God sit in that darkness and they wait and they wait. They wait as they look out into the sky and they wait for that first dawn of light. And when they see just a bit of light over the horizon, their hearts are filled with joy because they know what is coming. They know what else will follow that light. This is is Zechariah talking about his son. He's saying that his son will be that first light that brings hope because of what will surely follow. You see, there is no light that comes 
that is not followed by the source of light. That's what our text is about this morning. That as God sent that first dawning of light in Zechariah, something much greater was about to happen. And those who sit on the horizon and wait, those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, they wait for the source of light to appear. The Advent season means coming. The word Advent means coming. And it's a season where we look not to, uh, not to just the past, but we look forward. We are looking not just to what Jesus has done, but what Jesus has promised He will do. Friends, you and I today, as we sit and we wait, this we, as we hear this text, we, we need to look forward, not just back. We need to look at how Christ, who, has, who first came, He is coming again. And as that light first dawned, our hearts must be sure that that source of light will follow. I wonder about, about you today. I mean, I wonder about myself as well. well what did you, why did you come to church today? Why did you come? What were you hoping to get? What were you hoping to achieve? Maybe some of us today are, are like Zechariah, wondering if God's promises really are true. Wondering if God's promises in my life really are true. If hope and salvation, and all these great gospel promises really are coming true. And as Zechariah thinks to himself, he, he sees the beginnings of the fulfillment, he says, true fulfillment is not far off. Friends, the same is true of us today. As we hope in Christ, the rest of his promises are coming true. The great uh, hymn, The great hymn written by Charles Wesley captures this language of the sun that rises. And he, and he sings, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Speaking of Jesus, Wesley writes, Mild Jesus laid His glory by. Jesus was born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Beginning with John the Baptist, this little baby boy, born from a barren womb, who then went into the wilderness until the time of his appearing, and then proclaims, repent, turn from your sins. God's great story of redemption will climax with Jesus Christ, who dies for our sins and rises for them and accomplishes the final defeat of God's enemies. The hope of Zechariah's song points that way. And the transformation that we see in his heart is hope that our hearts too can change. Like the beautiful rays of the morning, the word of God starts small and then is fulfilled in glorious blazing light. Maybe we need to spend some time today like Zechariah, maybe not nine months, but in silence. Just for a minute, looking at the great promises of God, looking at the great promises of salvation, the great promises of final redemption, that Jesus is coming again. Maybe we just need to look at those promises and for a minute be silent. Maybe you, like me, have struggled this Christmas season, struggled to get my thoughts together, struggled to get my heart together, struggle to get my life together. Maybe we've looked at the promises of God and we've said, it's just, 
I don't know. It's just too hard to, to believe this. Our reason says it's impossible. Experience tells me otherwise. I don't know, God, like, I don't know, maybe, the, maybe these promises are too great to come true. Or maybe they come true in someone else's life, but maybe not mine. Friends, this morning as we come before God and His Word, uh, the message is a simple one. God's promises have begun to come true from John the Baptist, fulfilled in that life, and they grow to the great culmination of Christmas Day when His Son comes and is laid in that manger, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, humble as a baby, upturning all the expectations of the world. But friends, that's not the end. Because that baby dies, he is risen again. He ascends into heaven and he will surely return. And you and I are caught up in his life. You and I are caught up in his story. Maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe this season we need to come back again and just look at him. That great light that is Jesus Christ. The great light that the world desperately needs, but maybe you have forgotten that you need. Let's spend a moment just in silence, asking, God's, asking God to take His Word and grow it in our hearts. Friends, don't, don't, don't look around. Don't, don't turn this off to someone else. This is for you. The hope of Christmas is for you. Let's spend a minute in quiet. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, guiding our feet into the way of peace. Gracious God, we cry out to you. Father, draw us to your Son. Turn our eyes away from the lesser things of this world, O God. Help us to desire Christ Jesus more and more. To long for Him, not just as a baby, not just as a crucified and resurrected Messiah, but as a returning Lord. Gracious God, help us to hope in Christ, to cling to Him and to say, Lord Jesus, apart from You, we have no other hope. And we give you thanks and praise, O oh God, that your word tells us that change, that belief, that faith is possible. And as you brought life forth from a barren womb and faith forth from a doubting heart, O oh God, do a new work in us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here whose heart is hard and cold to Jesus Christ, us with your warmth. We come to you, Jesus, turning from our sin, turning from our idolatry, and we say, be all to us, be everything to us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Friends, our closing song today is O Little Town of Bethlehem. 
And I, I'm just going to ask as the musicians come forward, let's, let's stay seated. Let's stay seated. Let's continue in this time of prayer, hearing the words of what this song says to Christ as we invite Him to come into our hearts. Let's sing together.